the sixth episode of Indistinct Chatter. This time, the focus lies on painter Lisa Soskolny's piece, Jean Diemann, Vautroin, Guy de Commerce, 1080 Bruxelles, which is part of the group exhibition in Vienna, in the context of which this podcast series came into being. My name is Pierre-Marie Remmers, and I am the curator of this exhibition. Lisa Soskolne was born in Canada in 1971 and lives and works in New York since the late 1990s. She's a co-founder of Working Artists and the Greater Economy, short VAGE, and has been its core organizer since 2012. The organization advocates for the payment of artist fees by non-profit art institutions in the US. In the context of her first institutional solo exhibition in Germany, Humor Then, at Kunstverein Nuremberg in 2020, Lisa wrote provenance records for each of her paintings in the show. In general, the term provenance record is understood to mean a written document that breaks down in chronological order the origin of a cultural object. They include information on custody as well as changes of ownership and location. Research into provenance often involves questions of authorship, authenticity and the moral and legal validity of a possession, such as with regard to Nazi-looted art. The provenance record is more common in the area of historical than in contemporary art and is usually not made by the artist him or herself, but by scientists or lawyers. Nevertheless, Lisa decided on this format to document and convey the creation process of her paintings, as well as their exhibition participations and changes of ownership. The latter played an especially interesting role in regards to Jean Diemann, Ventroaki de Commerce, 1080 Bruxelles. In The Provenance of Jean Diemann, the artist interweaves the violent refusal of the character of Jean Diemann in Chantal Ackermann's 1975 film with the events surrounding the sale of the work in the late 1990s. Like all provenance records, the one that follows is based on real events as well as thorough research and an effort at objectivity. It is read by the writer Tamara Faith Berger. Jean Dillman, 23, Quai du Commerce, 1080 Bruxelles, is the title of a 1975 film by Chantal Ackerman. Using extended, real-time takes, the film documents the repetition of tasks over three days in a woman's domestic and working life as a mother and part-time prostitute. On the third day, Jean Dielman murders a client in her home, stabbing him in the neck with a pair of scissors. The first two days are bracketed by intertitles, noting each day's end, as depicted in the painting hang Hanging in Emmanuel Lair Gallery. I made this painting in 2020 as a facsimile of an earlier version from 1998 called Three Frames from Jean Dielman. When I made the first Jean Dielman in 1998, I didn't know Chantal Ackerman's film was considered a feminist masterpiece. I also didn't know 
that in the 1990s, there were disagreements between feminist film theorists about the meaning of the murder scene, which happens right after Jean Dielman orgasms with a client. One scholar thought of Jean's orgasm as repressed sexuality erupting as jouissance, setting up a series of power proxies, creating both the disorganization of physical space and temporal gaps. The eruption of the semiotic, an expenditure without exchange that must be annulled in the act of murder, in the abolition of the phallus. Another thought the murder was sensationalist, an unnecessary event introduced in the film for purely rhetorical reasons. Another theorist said the murder was either a negation of Jean Dielman's desire or of the law. Either way, she said it stood as the film's one singular act of unbridled affirmation, of violent refusal. Anyway, my first Sean Dealman was sold in 1999. The sale involved three parties, me, an art collector, and a private art dealer I met at Artist's Space, where I was a gallery intern. The private art dealer was visiting the Irving Sandler Artist's File, a digitized slide registry containing the work of thousands of artists, including mine. I happened to be there the day he found my paintings in 1999. I was greeting visitors at the front desk of 38 Green Street by the elevator. The art dealer approached me. He wore a suit. He seemed serious and kind. I like your work, he said, flushed. Here's my card. He didn't have an art gallery, but wanted to try and sell my paintings privately, which is how he came to sell Jean Dielman. He sold Jean Dielman shortly before it was shown in the project room at Artist's Space that same year. It was the first of three times an art collector has bought my work. The price was $5,500. I agreed to the collector's terms, and instead of money, I accepted an equivalent sum of hotel credit redeemable on a hard-to-reach island in the Caribbean. I got $3,300 of the sale price, and the private art dealer got $2,200. Some months passed after the transfer, and then it was the year 2000. The art dealer had opened an art gallery. He was generous, collegial, and supportive of my work. He was the art dealer. I was the artist. My sister was a graphic designer. She was also generous, collegial, and supportive. She did the typesetting for Jean Nealman and for other paintings I made with typography in them. At the end of the year 2000, my sister produced, at cost, some printed materials for my exhibition at the art dealer's gallery. After the show, once she had gathered, all the receipts for reimbursement, on March 7th, 2001, she faxed the art dealer, writing, Dear art dealer, sorry it's taken me so long to get these prices together. Believe it or not, it's taken until now for all the bits and pieces to come in, for the shipping, film, etc. Unfortunately, as a result, my printer is getting a bit antsy to be paid, so could you please let me know when to expect a check? 
Thanks, art dealer. Hope all is well with you. The total is U.S. $524.46. Five months later, in August 2001, the art dealer finally drew up an invoice acknowledging the total due. Things were moving slowly. I paid my sister the $524.46 and took over the role of debt collector. Over the following year, the art dealer and I lost touch. Then, in June 2002, I received a message. I hope this message finds you well. I haven't heard from you or crossed paths with you for a while, the art dealer wrote. He was pleasant and kind. The art dealer was inquiring if I would like to keep working with him. He continued, Lamentably, the $524.46 is still owed you. I intend to remit this amount to you during the summer. It was signed, Cordially, Art Dealer. I responded, explaining that my work had changed. I was no longer making paintings with text. I was now making, making paintings of people and didn't feel ready to show them to anyone. I tried to find a way to respond regarding the money I was still owed. It has played a role in my reluctance to continue to be associated with your gallery, I wrote. I wanted to be nice, like he had been. I appreciate your candor and professionalism, he replied. Sounds fine. I will send you funds throughout the summer. Two months later, I received another message. In reviewing my list of assets, I see that I still have a credit for hotel accommodations, he wrote, referring to his share of the Jean Dielman credit from two years before. If you are willing to accept $1,100 of this credit in lieu of the balance due of $524.46, please let me know. Thank you for considering this offer. His message was respectful and professional. The offer was generous. I'd come to expect nothing less from him. But that June, I had been fired from my job and things were taking a precarious turn in my life. Sorry for the delay in getting back to you, I replied. Unfortunately, the reasons for the delay are the reasons I am unable to accept the hotel credit in lieu of cash. I just lost my job and in turn, my work visa, and I'm not eligible for unemployment insurance, and now I'm possibly losing my apartment, that or the rent is going up significantly. So, as you might imagine, I need all the cash I can get. Again, the art dealer's response was obliging and showed empathy. Sorry to hear about this turn of events, he wrote. I understand. The offer was an alternative and was by no means designed to eliminate the possibility of payment. I will get back to sorting things out in order to send you funds. Pacified again by his cordiality, it seemed only fair to give him more time. I knew what it was like to be broke. I was an artist, after all. But after a month, I lost patience and wrote to him. So, it's the beginning of September. In June, you agreed to have paid me back by now. I still haven't received it, and I don't think I should have to keep asking. I expect to have it by the end of this month. 
His reply was clipped but affirmative. Thanks for the message. End of month. Thanks. When the end of the month arrived and nothing had come, I started thinking about the negation of the law, abolishing the phallus. Is that what the feminists meant? I wrote again. Today is the last day of September, and I still have not received the money you owe me. Clearly, asking for it back repeatedly has not been successful, and while I, and while I really should not have to do any more than that, I can and will take legal action as an alternative. Finally, in mid-October, I got a letter from the art dealer. In it was a check for $50. Nearly two years had passed since the exhibition. In 1977, Chantal Ackerman had said about Jean Dielman that when she bangs a glass on the table and you think the milk might spill, that's as dramatic as the murder. I knew what I had to do. Outraged but calm, I filed a lawsuit with small claims court and fired off a message. I received your check for $50 in the mail yesterday. I don't know exactly what your circumstances are, but $50 of nearly $600 is just not enough. It's almost insulting. Either I get the full amount by November 19th, or I'll attend the small claims court date set for November 20th and expect to see you then. He responded with the same good-natured calm as always, indicating that his own circumstances had now become precarious. How could his circumstances possibly be more precarious than mine? I was the artist. I immediately began pounding on the keys. Your precarious circumstances are not my responsibility, nor are my precarious circumstances your responsibility. After two years, you're simply responsible for paying me back in full. Period. And there I was. Skipping the jouissance, I had erupted out of the same repression as Jean Dielman, just as the film theorist had described. For fuller effect, I added, the fact that I have to take you to court to get this money back is outrageous and has, of course, eliminated any possibilities of us ever working together again. If this is how you do business, the circumstances you are in do not surprise me. It was 2002, but it was already clear that email would require discipline. Yes, we were already deep inside the bureaucracy and mistakes, eruptions by both parties. Everything was being recorded forever. And so, with great discipline, like Jean Dielman calmly tucking in her shirt and smoothing her skirt before jamming the scissors into the client's neck, the art dealer wrote, At this point, it will be necessary for our communications to be confined to request for funds, disbursement of funds, and offers, agreement, etc. concerning this. In the next sentence, just like I did, the art dealer had finally arrived at his own eruption of semiotic bureaucratic jouissance. He wrote, 
Please be advised that straying from such topics can be construed to be harassment. There are laws governing this conduct by both professional bill collectors and individual and corporate creditors of all kind. I can understand that you find it tempting to amend your messages with declarations, characterizations, etc. At this time, they are beside the point, and any irrelevant statements or unreasonable conduct will be considered to be harassment. I don't know if visa granting agencies look kindly on this sort of thing. That was it. How dare he? Small claims court was to be my final singular act of unbridled affirmation, a violent refusal. I was shaking during our encounter in the courtroom and agreed to mediation. On February 15th, 2003, almost exactly two years after my sister, the graphic designer, had faxed the art dealer the receipts, a transfer of assets agreement was drawn up. The art dealer agreed to transfer the trade value of $1,100 in hotel credit granted by the art collector as per the trade agreement of August 24, 1999 for the sale of the first Jean Dealman. It was 2003 and I had $4,400 in hotel credit in the Caribbean. The problem was I didn't have enough money to get there. So I never made it over during the decades that passed after the sale, but I never forgot about the deal and always wondered what happened to my painting. Then, in 2017, a request came from Artist Space to exhibit Jean Dielman again. I found my copy of the faxed contract. It stated that the sale wouldn't be complete until all of the hotel credit was redeemed. It said, this trade transaction has no expiration date. Once artist dealer have received full barter compensation, title passes to art collector. I still own Jean, Jean Dielman, or at least $4,400 of it. Now I had to find the art collector. It had been 18 years. I got his email address through an art advisor and wrote to him. This time, I was cordial, but firm, in control. Yes, I wanted to show the painting at Artist Space again, but I wanted something more than that. I wanted ownership. I wrote, I've wondered many times where my painting was and about its status. Since, as stated in the contract, the title doesn't pass to you unless I receive full barter compensation. To be completely upfront, I'd like to have the painting back. It has great significance to me, and I have it and will not benefit from the trade that, if fulfilled, would have granted you ownership. The art collector responded casually, but quickly, from his phone. He remembered the painting. The problem was, he had lost track of Jean Dielman in 2012 and no longer knew where she was. A couple of weeks later, a check from the collector for 4400 arrived in the mail. No note. In 2020, I made the painting again.
Thank you so very much for revising this record and sharing it with us, Lisa. Thanks as well, Tamara, for your reading of the record. If you're interested in receiving the script of the Provenance record, please don't hesitate to contact the gallery. Indistinct Chatter will be on view until the 15th of May. You can find installation views and further information on emmanuellaya.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. <laughs>